0: we appreciate you listening to the Suns Solar Panel podcast. Really fun episode on this one. Bobby March from ESPN comes on to talk all things Suns from free agency to draft. A really great interview. I do want to go ahead and thank all the listeners who have decided to support the Suns Solar Panel podcast. If you want to support the show, you feel like you get a lot out of it. Just hit the support the show button at the bottom of the show notes in the podcast you're listening to right now. And don't forget... Saturday, July 6th, we are organizing a Phoenix Suns fans get-together in Vegas for Summer League. So uh, if you want to RSVP for that, we'd love to see you. We'd love to have a beer with you. Just head on over to our Facebook page, the events up there, RSVP, and we will see you out in Vegas Saturday, July 6th. What well, did you hear that Devin Booker had a plus-minus of like 37 last night? He had 48 points and 11 assists and 10 of 10 from the free throw line. And if you haven't got the message, it's your trading Percentages are incredibly exclusive for a player of his usage rating. While will continue
1: conversating while the suns are escalating. One day they'll be jumping on that podium and celebrating. So
0: the panel guys, they love to analyze the suns. Yeah, the so the panel guys, they love to analyze the suns. Hello, and welcome to the Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast. My name is Tim Tompkins. Very excited for today's show because joining us, we do have front office insider for ESPN, former vice president and assistant general manager of the New Jersey slash Brooklyn Nets, Bobby Marks. Bobby, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on, Bobby. I love uh, I love listening to you and watching you on ESPN, and uh, um, you know what I last week uh, about four days ago, you were on there with Mike Schmitz doing a uh, mock draft, and when you got to the Phoenix Suns pick, you chose Kobe White. If I recall correctly, is that right? That is a hundred percent correct. I went. I took the. Um... You know it's funny when we do the
2: draft. We usually the mindset is always best available, right? We the teams rank their boards and um, kind of skewed a little bit off that and and went more of the NFL route and took more of um, need there. Uh, although I think Kobe White is a heck of a player. Maybe not the sixth best best prospect in the draft. Um, probably maybe seven or eight. But yeah, I went um, I went Kobe White just based on that void and as you guys know, in Phoenix, and uh, a guy can kind of play on and off the ball there.
1: Good, good. Um, So then let's use that as a perfect segue. Right before we started recording, you talked about your your favorite times of the season and all that, uh, back when you were in the front office for the New Jersey and then Brooklyn Nets. Um, So talk to us about if you were in a front office right now, if you were working for the Suns right now, what would be the discussions around whether you take best player available or or uh, drafting for need, like uh, like you're doing with Kobe White on the on the special there?
2: Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a process here, and this process started, um, you know, after the season with workouts. Um, the Suns have, you know, certainly with James Jones and Jeff Bower. Now they will uh, put a board together, a top sixty board. Uh, players and that's how they will rank it um, as far as who is up there. Certainly Zion Williamson will start at one and then you can kind of go from there. And it's, it's a basis of opinions and scouting reports and medical and background. And, um, and this is kind of the weekend where the board gets finalized, you know, the, the Sunday before the draft is when uh, you have a really good understanding of where you are kind of where you're going to be. It's a little bit different if you're picking at 24 because you're kind of waiting but when you're up top at six, um, you have a better feel of, of who is going to be there. And um, as I said, you rank the board. And I think, I think the big discussion will be when you get to where is the separation between four to eight? As far Is there a big enough separation or small enough separation that you can take best available there? Uh, or take best, you know, a position of need instead of a best available there. Within
1: a grouping Within of a like group, players.
2: Yeah, because we we know where the three are, right? We know Zion, mm-hmm. John Morant, and um, and R.J. Barrett. So mm-hmm. let's take those three off the board. And now you're looking at a group of probably four or five players. So we're looking at Darius Garland. We're looking at DeAndre Hunter. We're looking at Jarrett Culver. We're looking at Kobe White. Yeah. Um, you could probably put, you know, Cam Reddish in there, uh, Sekou Dumboya the the big from uh, from France. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at like, now we're starting to massage. I call it we we're starting to massage the board a little bit here, and that's where your discussions come up. As far as, let's look at who is off the board at four, who is off the board at five, and let's if let's say if it's um, Hunter and uh, Garland are off the board at four and five. Now you're looking at this is what is left. Now is Jarrett Culver that much of a better player now long-term that we just pick the best available guy, and we'll figure out point guard down the road um, or maybe in a trade? Or is Kobe White the separation small enough? And that's kind of the discussions that Phoenix is having and and a lot of teams are having kind of internally – where the board starts to change a little bit is when you start maybe taking some of the medical into it, the background, uh, psychological. Um, then you start maybe moving guys around a little bit here. Maybe that gets tweaked a little bit on a Monday or Tuesday. But for now, it's kind of all about the discussion between taking got, taking players in those small groups.
3: How much? So, if you,
1: or go ahead. Go ahead.
3: I was just going to say, Bobby, this is Greg. How much does? Do the scouts play into this? Because we've heard the Suns right now their their front office has a very limited scouting staff. But when you were running, uh, when you were part of the Brooklyn uh, and New Jersey front office, how much did the scouts play into this process of setting this board?
2: Oh, huge!
3: You know, it's funny that um,
2: we we the board got finalized on the Sunday, which would be tomorrow, right? And really, you know, Billy King, who who was a jam at the time, and Rod Thorne, who I worked for for 10 years, they would not have any input on the board. They would basically kind of walk in on it already set. And then now it is up to the scouts to defend what they just did to justify to it's basically you're in a court of a you're in a court now. Mm -hmm. Now it's the scout. I mean, hey. These guys have gone, this is why they get paid a lot or paid. Maybe not a lot, but they get. Paid. Yeah. They go out. This is their job. This is their job to go out and scout these guys. I think it would be a disservice if you did not use them. Um, they're the ones who are doing the background. Well, what if you didn't have them on staff? Well, now you're relying on, you're relying on your front office. Now you are, that's what you're, you were relying on your small staff there. If it is, um, James, you know, certainly Jeff. I'm sure Jeff's watched these guys all year, even though he wasn't in the league. Um, it, you know, it's, I, you cannot, I, I think it would be fair to have the, ask the coach to have a, an opinion on this. Um, I think the coach, I think Monty can have an opinion from a, from a, a personality fit. How does he work? Um, but the, you know, the coaches, Monty was, was worried about Philadelphia this year. Right. You know, Monty, wasn't worried, Monty wasn't worried about Kobe White playing against Duke in March. <laughs> <laughs> so and, it, and, it, and it's basically a lot of it's catch up for him i'm sure he's watched tape on these uh on these players here but yeah i think i think he, you do get a little bit of a, a disadvantage when you do not have a big staff um because i think i think it's good to have opinions and i think it's good
3: to have, um, some maybe are a little bit biased more because these guys have seen these players does it surprise yeah. you that that the suns Uh, seem to have decided to forego having uh, having large scouting staff. And have you heard any talk about that uh, around the league, if others are surprised by that?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the big thing during the year is that, you know, when they – when I let go of Ryan uh, and, and Courtney and some others before um, right before the season, right? Was that training
1: group? I think yeah, um, nine days before the season started.
2: Yeah. That, that group was, you know, it wasn't re- really replenished there. Um, I think it can kind of work both ways. I think some people like to keep it small, less opinions. Um, I think it's more, I think the more information you have is the better. And I think it's just a matter of kind of sifting through. And I think if you, if you walk into a room and you only have three people in there or four people, I think that it, you can kind of get yourself in a little bit of trouble. So yeah, I think teams were surprised that the group didn't, you know, they did not fill out their scouts. Um, especially when you knew where they were where, where they were going to be picking, you know, they knew you knew you were, they were going to be in the, in the top six or seven here. And I think, I think a lot, and we'll talk about this later, like, and a lot of that has to do with that, not just with the draft guys. Like, like if we're talking about trades, Right. And if you are looking at players, and I wrote about it, like right. you need to go back, let's go back two years from now. Or right, what did you guys think about Lonzo Ball two years from now, two years ago? Like where where does the number six pick in this year's draft compare to a player like Lonzo Ball? Yeah, they don't have that history. We'll that, and we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll drive into that later, but that's kind of just some of the discussions that
1: you need to have. And I think the more opinions about that or the more information, the better. So there's been some uh I guess people would say conflicting uh, comments from James Jones throughout the year, but uh, what's been fairly consistent is that he is focusing on getting the Suns more NBA veteran players this next year and, and less focus on draft picks last year. They had what nine guys, 22 and under. So uh, I think really the way James Jones approached this past year was we're not going to be picking in the draft. We're going to want to trade these picks um, and, and, what worries me more is, I mean, if you've got, and this is an outsider saying it worries me more, so I get it if I'm wrong, but you've got, if you've got this top two, three, four, six pick, there's only a half a dozen guys you really have to dive in on after the season and look back and yeah, you didn't watch them actually play in the games, but you can talk to people who watch them play in the games and you can get, you can get scouting maybe from people who weren't on your payroll during the year, um, that did watch these guys. And what worries me more is that number 32 pick. And that's like a shot in the dark now. I mean, how could they possibly have truly scouted for that? But then you look at the other side of it, and Ryan McDonough had a deep bench of scouts, and they consistently picked poorly. So you can't always know. (laughs) uh, You can't always know that your scouting is going to give you the best options.
2: Well, you're right, and I think probably James is looking back on prior drafts you know, let's throw Devin out of the equation because that was, of course, that was a great pick there. But he's looking at the the Dragon Bender, Marquise draft mm-hmm. and saying, like, wait a minute. Like, we had 13, 14 guys here scouting, and how did we screw that up? And Two, pick. two picks in the top, what, eight? top? Yes, nine. Yes. And how did we miss on that? And maybe going smaller is um, is a lot better. And I think you hit it right on the head. Yeah, I think you have an idea when you're picking six who your group of 10 guys are, right? At the most. Right. right. But what happens when you're at 32 here? And I think teams like Toronto has shown that you can find high value, Milwaukee with Malcolm Brogdon, Toronto with Norm Powell, Pascal Siakam. You can find high value, and then the group of players just becomes expanded now. Now you're looking – you go from – seven guys at six pick six to now 35 guys at pick 32. And, you know, what happens if a, if they get presented a trade on draft night where uh golden state is at 28, I think. And they say, you know what? We like um, 30, we like 32. We'll, we want to go to, uh, we want to uh, uh, go up to, we'll give you 28 for 32 in a future second or something like that. Right. Then it gets a little bit more like, all right, well, like, are we even ready for this? We have 35
3: players here. Like, now you're kind of in scramble mode. And then they yeah. go to mock drafts so like like you're involved in <laughs> and go, hey, who do we want here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope
2: not. I love mock drafts. That's I'm telling guys here and stuff like that. I think mock drafts gives you an opinion. I think mock drafts, What I think you saw it in, in the NFL, right? Like mm-hmm. when, um, you know, the Giants are picking at, Six and Daniel Jones is mo- in the mock drafts at twenty eight, and he goes to six, and now it's like like the like the world is ending here, <laughs> right? Like like come on, how do we know? Let it, let it play out a little bit. I think mock drafts gives like a sense of a, like it, it kind of dilutes the peop- the mind of people. I think it's a great resource, but it's not the it's not the end all be all. And but uh, our team
1: what? scouts, I'm sorry, really quick, Tim. But our team scouts a lot more uh respectable or uh, viable or talented than uh jonathan gaboni is it gaboni or jaboni
2: i think our guys are really talented i think they can go work for any front office so yeah so
1: what is it really wrong to use their Uh, big (laughs) word
2: no i i think no i think it's a baseline you know it's like we're almost like team 31 right (laughs) so we're like you know when we do our top 100 or top um Top sixty. It's it's like you know these guys go out and it's not like they're just you know throwing you know throwing darts at the dartboard here. You know they um they go out and they bust their tail and stuff like that. I and I think they have a great base, especially for the international guys. I mean, I would say our two guys are
0: probably better than a lot of teams internationally. Um, I think they really nail it there. And so speaking of a lot of these guys, <laughs> one place that you can see them, which is probably my favorite. My favorite uh, time of the year is definitely NBA Summer League. So the Sun Solar panel is going to be out at Summer League. I do believe that Bobby is going to be there as well. But for all the Suns fans that are heading out there, we are organizing a get-together. It's going to be on Saturday, July 6th, for all the Suns fans out there at Summer League to get together, have some drinks, and talk about the Phoenix Suns. So if you want to RSVP for that, you can go ahead and go over to our Facebook page. We have all the information there. Uh, Myself, Dave, and Greg will all be out there at Summer League for that get-together. So uh, come and join us for a drink. But we do have a listener question from the YouTube chat, Gortat4. He says, for Bobby, the last few years, the Suns have been known for keeping assets until they lose their value. Do you think they finally cash in? And are their assets even attractive at all? Well,
2: I think the sixth pick in a draft is certainly attractive.
0: Um, even in the draft that's, um,
2: you know, I would say, I guess we're ranking at average at best right now based on where the, where the drop off at, at number three. I think when you look at their roster outside of, um, you know, outside of Devin, I think you kind of prioritize it as far, you know, the value of what, uh, of TJ Warren based on his contract with, um, you know, where, how do teams feel about Josh Jackson? I think that's kind of going back two years from now. Two years ago, as far as how they feel felt about him when he was coming out of out of college, um, the I think one thing that's probably a little bit under the radar is that Milwaukee pick that they have from the um, from the Bledsoe trade because we don't know where the direction of you know we think we know where Milwaukee is going to be if Middleton and Brogdon are brought back, um, but that is something that they can certainly use. Um, I think you have players on expiring like Tyler Johnson who will opt into his contract uh, of course here. Um, so it's like, you know, do you want to keep that asset the Milwaukee pick to move money now to get into free agency? Um, so yeah, I don't think it's as great as it was maybe two years ago, right. When you had, um, you had, you know, the young, we, we had the young kids. We, we didn't know what Bender and Chris were going to be. You had some future picks. You had that, um, you had that Miami pick. Um, I think Mikhail Bridges, I think certainly could be, you know, a player that you'll have uh, some, some longevity here. I think you saw some good minutes for him there. Um, so yeah, I think there's somewhat of a baseline of, of players here. It's like, it's almost like, but we're still like, feel like we're still kind of at that foundation phase.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, hey, speaking of Tyler Johnson for a minute, I know it's, it's gotta be just a matter of, he just hasn't bothered to tell everybody um, that he's going to opt in to his $19.2 million. I mean, why would you walk away from that? (laughs) But if you're, if you're in that front office for the Suns, how how viable is even the discussion of having a discussion with Tyler Johnson and saying, you know what, if you opt out of this, like, um, was it Valanchunas that just did it with Memphis? If you opt out of this and talk to us about a long-term deal Aren't you more comfortable with uh, four years, forty million, than one year, nineteen? And of course, he's going to say, "How about one year, nineteen plus four years, forty? <laughs> but how viable is it to even have that discussion with him? I think you have to, and I think it's a matter of what your comfort
2: level. You got him in February at the yeah. deadline. Yeah, it was late January. I think he's just kind of a um, yeah. Is he more of just an expiring contract, or is he something part of going forward? Um, you know, it's hard for him to, like, you know, Valentinus, I think his value is kind of, you know, he got out 17.6, so I could see them sign him to three years, 42 million. Something like, you know, three years, 45 million, um, where he gets two years, two and extra two years guaranteed and, and drops that number. I didn't, I think for Tyler, it's going to be hard where, you know, what is he right now? Mid, Probably, is he a mid-level guy? You know, 9 million? About 8 to 10, right? That, yeah. Right, so he's looking at it. I already got, I got 20 banked right now. Like, why do I need to work an extra year <laughs> to, get that, to get that ten million dollars back? I think it's certainly worth having a discussion. Um, you know, what happens if they come in and offer him um, four at forty-eight? You know, where you have a, you, at least you have twenty-four million guaranteed in years three and four, and that drops that number down to seventeen. But yeah, I think it's, I think you have to have it, but I think it's a matter of is he, you know, is he Ryan Anderson? Where you're basically like a, a dead, you know, like a, like right. a dead, dead, tree, or yeah. are you part
3: of, um, you know, are you, you know, part of what we're kind of building here? Okay. So, so take us back. You, you talking Sunday before the draft is set in that big board, and you're looking at things, you're in, in that room having those discussions. You're the sons, right? And if you have garland and white ranked very closely what starts to become the determining factors between two players if they're ranked very closely on their board and you assume they're both going to be there at six four yeah
2: garland's pretty interesting just because there's really not
3: much of a body of work right
2: so how are you comparing a guy that played um Five game five, was I think he played five games. Is <clears throat> coming off um a, a knee injury at surgery it has not worked out for any uh, for any teams I believe. Um, compared to a player that played a full season um and, and played at a pretty high level here, I think I think that's another reason why you are trusting the, the guys that went out and saw him on the um, AA right. circuit. Then you know if he played for the national team, he played in the, during the summer here. Um, you have to not just rely on five games played at Vanderbilt here. So I think, are you looking at Garland where the potential, I think it's, I think if if Garland is picked ahead of White, it's based on potential, the dreaded P word, right? right. Potential compared to what they are kind of right now. And that's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing. That's, you know, that's why um, they always say that the, the draft, there's no exact science to the draft. You know, now you're basically picking on gut.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think there's like a zero percent chance that anyone on the Suns payroll watched Darius Garland live. <laughs> yeah, because if you
3: you had to been out there in what um, November. Like, yeah uh,
1: and that's when they were just they just fired everybody. Yeah. They, they were either, just,
3: they were still making their offices feel normal, you know. We're yeah, like, they were still scouting. pictures up. Right. <laughs> and and you know, these same
1: guys were not around for any AAU circuits. They weren't around for any high school, you know, certainly I I don't I can't imagine James Jones going to more than one or two high school games this past year at the most, and those might have only been in the Phoenix area. Um because he's focusing on the NBA side. But going back to Kobe White for a second. How much better do you think Kobe White is than Elia Kobo and D'Anthony Melton in year two? Like, is it is it worth doing that again and dumping out on Eliot Kobo and Kobe White? Because they're gonna sign a vet too. Yeah. You're not they're not gonna put they're not gonna put a rookie as starting point guard yeah. with two second-year players behind him. It's not gonna happen.
2: Well, you're right. I mean, I don't think I think if you go into The regular season, and Kobe White's your starting point guard. I think you failed with Melton and a Kobo behind him. Yeah. I think you failed. That's another punt. Yeah. And is
3: is Kobe White the the right kind of point guard for this team? Because he's a score first guy. He seems like reverse Kendall Marshall to me, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Kobe White is not Jason Kidd. Yeah. Right.
2: Kobe White is not going to probably come in here and be your setup guy. So like I could see you draft Kobe White and I could see Devin Booker handling the ball a lot. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: So like is he he's a combo guard, right? He's a guy that and is still kind of figuring out point guard. So well, that's, that's kind of where your that's that's the big mystery here. As far but as the it.
1: real thing is, so the Suns have had the 29th ranked offense, 30th ranked offense, all this just awful. Yeah. Um, and somehow Kobe White, for all of his failures as a point guard led the fastest team in the nation and, and they were not only good in the open court, but they were good in half court. So, uh, you know, we, we crap all over Kobe white as a, as a playmaker because he doesn't look like Steve Nash or Jason Kidd, but he is pretty darn effective. And he was really good at spot up shots as well as, as pick and rolls and things like that. So I'm not really down on Kobe white. I guess I just don't want a rookie point guard starting. And then if you do that and you sign a veteran, is it too early to give up on Elliot Cobo and D'Anthony Melton? And if it, it's not, then what value do they have in a trade? I mean, are they just throw-ins so a team can say, I got a young player back in a trade? I mean, I just don't understand now that you have those two, what are you going to do with them? Well, that's right. And that's why, what is the value of
2: six, right? I mean, what is yeah. as far as if, if it, it goes back to, you know, James saying, you know, we want, you know, you know, basically we want NBA guys we want NBA guys to kind of come in here and right now. And, and, but who are those guys? who can, what can you turn six into um, that teams are willing to give you? Because you know someone made a point about, you know, Bradley Beal, you know, and you know, at number four, and I said, yeah, Bradley Beal and pick number four would be great if it was 2003, you know, when Wade Bosch and LeBron and that group were, you know, were in the draft. That's not, this is not that draft. Um and so, um, so I think you have. If you're Phoenix, you just have so many different ways you can go. You can go point guard. Um, you know what happens if the, probably the best defender in the draft is there in DeAndre Hunter? Is do you take him and knowing that you already have Mikhail Bridges? So it's yeah. you know it's like or you just, or you just say you know what we're gonna take him and then figure it out. And that's what team that sometimes is what you know teams were thinking is.
1: Well, you're right on the players being good players then figuring it out later works. If you're wrong and you picked only on potential, like hey, one of Bender or Chris has to work out, you know, then you know, you you kind of lost your job. So uh yeah, it's it so what kind of value does the 6 have? What kind of value does Josh Jackson have? What kind of value does TJ Warren have? The Milwaukee pick, Kobo Melton All these are, in my mind, kind of like values, which is not awesome.
2: Well, yeah, they're not. I mean, they're they're not like a blue chip, right? Right. Like um, the Memphis pick that Boston has is a blue chip. Mm -hmm. Um, Jason Tatum is a blue chip, right? Right. Um, Guys like that. um, um, I don't know about the Lakers guy. Maybe Kyle Kuzma is a not blue chip, but pretty good asset there. Um, so I don't know what, what the guys that, you know, outside of Devin, I don't know if there's a blue, there's a blue chipper there. Um, I yeah. would have, lo- I would have loved to say Josh Jackson, right? Like I would have
3: said, I like, would love to say Josh Jackson.
2: Yeah. We just can't. Yeah.
3: <laughs> how, how about Aiton? Do you rank him? Oh,
2: I think Aiton's, we, we,
3: my, my
2: apologies to DeAndre Aiton. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I think DeAndre Aiton is a blue chipper. They didn't put him didn't in that
1: 2019 Aiton. draft commercial
2: yeah (laughs) I think Andre gets lost in the shuffle here right like he gets like crapped on because we all we did was talk about Trey Young and Luka Doncic and Jaron Jackson Jr and Andre had a good year you know and he had a he had a strong year here one
1: of the best rookie centered seasons ever it's just that he he doesn't he does it unassuming he doesn't do highlights yeah And, And, and um he um
2: you he he got he kind of falls back in the pecking order here, and um I think he's going to be a lot better. So yeah, I think um I think DeAndre is a I think he's a blue chipper. Yes,
0: uh Bobby, I have a question, and we kind of talked about this prior to recording, but as of last night or this morning, there seems to be a lot of rumors around the Nets uh, not, they aren't going to offer D'Angelo Russell a contract if they end up getting Kyrie Irving. And there's a whole lot of signs pointing to them getting Kyrie Irving. Uh, do you have any takes on that?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty fascinating considering that the strength of Brooklyn was their backcourt, right? So when you look at, or their guards, when you look at the year that D'Angelo had, and he had a heck of a year, he really did. Um, you know, I think i wrote about d'angelo and i said it's like how do you eva- how do you evaluate him do you do the anal- the analytics guys don't like him right is it the analytics or the eye test i think you got to watch the De- d'angelo russell play and not just look at like him number his numbers because he basically put that brooklyn team on his shoulders probably after J- uh, jan 30 when dinwiddie was hurt and they had really good success um You know, when you have Russell, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and Dinwiddie, those are four strong players there. Now all of a sudden we enter enter Kyrie into the picture, okay? So what happens if Kyrie goes to Brooklyn? um, You know, Russell is a restricted free agent. Uh, Hard for teams to pry Russell away if Brooklyn does not pull the qualifying offer and and leave him restricted because you guys are not restricted free agents. He goes, you always have to overpay. Right, so that's usually the thing. Now, will would it come down to um, that the Nets pull the qualifying offer like the Lakers did with Julius Randall last year and let Russell go into free agency unrestricted? I think that opens up a whole different animal there, and that's a possibility because now it's about relationships. You know, is represented by CAA. You, you know, it they mm-hmm. might, it might not be about now, but maybe two years from now that you, you know, CAA is doing you the favor instead. So I think it a lot of it will to be determined on who that second guy is with, with maybe a player like Kyrie, because you let Russell go. And now all of a sudden you have $35 million in room. So what is Brook? What's the intent of Brooklyn using that on? So, um, I think, yeah, I think Russell could be certainly a guy in play, um, you know, based on what happens with, uh, with with Irving.
0: And and just to get the, the cap numbers correct, I'm not sure if, if you can 100% confirm this, but if the cap is estimated um, this coming year at 109, that would put uh, a max deal for D'Angelo Russell around 27.2 a year? That is correct. Right. Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's the, gosh, D'Angelo Russell at 27.2 to start. I,
2: Yeah, I don't. I I don't see D'Angelo Russell as a max guy. I don't. I don't. I don't see. I don't see Kemba Walker as a super max guy. Um,
1: So the relationship being right, the relationship being, you almost have to make that offer to get (laughs) him to sign it as a restricted free agent, and hoping that the Nets won't match and all that stuff. If the Nets are nice enough to let him go and be unrestricted, then is D'Angelo Russell any less? likely to demand the max i mean you know what i mean like can you get him for 18 or 20 a year if he's unrestricted i think you can get him that i think you can get him between 20
2: and 22 unrestricted okay i think you can i think for restricted i think it's you're going to have to be it's going to have to be an overpay so that's right what is that four years 118 million somewhere around there. unless
1: there's some kind of deal like the sun's actually uh several years ago isaiah thomas The the Kings did not want to bring Isaiah Thomas back for some reason, and the Suns got him on a cool, great deal, and they only had to give up um, Alex Oriaki, second-round pick dude, uh, to get him. So is it possible that the Nets would do something along that line, I guess? I mean, I don't know.
2: Well, I think for Russell, too, it's going to be like, what else else is out there? Let's say we take Brooklyn and we take, um, let's say Brooklyn, New York, and both L.A. teams off the board, right? So that's Mm -hmm. four four out of – I'm looking at 10 teams with major cap space um, that, and then everyone else, you know, the, you know, like Chicago, Dallas, Indy, uh, let's put Phoenix in there. Um, You know, is there, is it worth him if the market is in that 18, $20 million just to do a one and one and and enter free agency in 2020 when he'll probably be one of the better players. Um, So I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at. I think it goes back to Phoenix where like, all right, well, Who, who are we moving now? Right. Like, what do we do now? It's like another animal. What do we, how are we, um, how are we going to create that gap of money? Because you're not there right now.
1: No, Um, you got 11 million bucks.
2: Yeah. So let's factor in that Ubre's back. Right. And he's, his hold is there. So now you're looking at that Milwaukee pick and Tyler's going somewhere. Um, What does this, you know, I think you could probably just trade Josh, just to get rid of, you know, without attaching, because I think teams will take a flyer on him. Um, so it's bad. Cap space? What's that? They'll take him with cap the, yeah, use with their cap into, space and with give in, the sunset. With, with into room. Yeah. I mean, what about TJ, right? Like that's, so those are your like, and I, I wrote about, it. those are like, you know, because you don't have it, there's always ways you can manufacture cap space, but with some guys like with, um, with Tyler, I think it will, it will cost you something to get rid of his salary.
3: Well, okay, guys, a little, little housekeeping. I, I always love the listeners and love how you guys support us. If you want to head over to sunsshirts.com, take a look. Uh, you can get some great quality T-shirts, some fun designs that we have, and new ones coming uh, almost weekly. So head over to sunsshirts.com. Check those out. Support the show. Uh, so, Bobby, looking, looking at that, talking about – D'Angelo Russell in particular, how much does a relationship and and his relationship with, with Devin Booker play a factor uh, in this? does with the current landscape of the NBA, how does that impact uh, a guy like that? And when he's considering uh, future destinations,
2: I think he has uh, more of an impact than what James or Jeff would have in a a meeting with, uh, with D'Angelo Russell. I think, We've seen it forever that players actively recruit other players, right? And it's kind of – we saw it in Miami with the, how the big three was put together. We saw it in Golden State with when KD joined there as far as these guys having some type of relationship. So, yeah, I think having a comfort level already with with who you're going to share the backcourt for the next three or four years, I think certainly – I think it certainly matters. When you
3: look at a back. When you look at a backcourt of Devin Booker uh, and D'Angelo Russell, uh, does that that look like a a winning recipe uh, to
2: you? I would say you better have some strong wing defenders out there. (laughs)
1: Because you've got Aiton in the middle too. So if you do those two guys with Aiton in the middle – I mean, you need, like, four P.J. Tuckers.
2: Yeah, you need, like – I don't think you need a scoring wing now. <laughs> <laughs> or, but they're
1: going to bring Uber back. Uber uh, back. Yeah, I think eight and down low blocking shots, I think. They're yeah. almost certainly bringing Ubre back, right? So you've yeah. got then Russell, Booker, Ubre, who isn't – when he's focused, he's a good defender, but he's not really that to Trevor Reason, his prime kind of guy. Um, and he'll take minutes away from Mikel Bridges, actually – and then, DeAndre,
3: eight. Gosh, how Dave, do you I, I like your strategy, back. Dave. Yeah, just go with six guys. You had four P.J. Tuckers with the backcourt, and you're going six on five. That might be the only way you can make it <laughs> work. I would say this. If you get D'Angelo Russell, if you are a sports better out there, just take the over every game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so- so this time, this time of year, Bobby, when we're, we're talking about potential trades and how, when does that heat up? Is it is it a few days before the draft? Is it draft night? Does it just kind of depend it, on it, the year? It just keeps on going. It's like it seems like the only time it doesn't is like
1: August and like early September. Well, what is your magic? What does the clock in your head say on Anthony Davis trade?
2: Well, I thought you know, I'm more optimistic that a Davis deal happened by um, by the night of the draft than I was back in. Uh, late January, early February, when he had demanded first, right? I thought, and I, and I, I publicly said it on ESPN, and I think I got scorned by Laker Nation that, um, that I, that I put it at one percent that Davis would be traded by the deadline, and I just thought of it because like. Why? <laughs> like, there's no incentive to. He still had another year and a half left, and we knew that the market was going to open up. But I think he started to see the market open up here. I think a lot of it's going to depend on um, what Davis. You know, how much do the Lakers want to ante up, Right? I mean, that's what it basically comes down to. If, if they want to go all in, or, or they um or they want to kind of hold back and, and see how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think the trade dialogue is is year round. Um, I think it heats up more when we're in Chicago for the pre-draft camp, um, mm-hmm. as far as kind of putting um, feelers out there. Um, I think it will certainly start to pick up this week, Monday, when we're starting to look at picks. I mean, teams like Atlanta have made it well known that you know the six picks that they have are in
1: play. Um, <laughs> I think we could say yeah, for- six rookies in. Yeah, I mean they're, they're not the Phoenix Suns. What's that? <laughs> They're not the Phoenix Suns bringing six rookies in one season. No,
2: I mean I think they'd have what like these <laughs> guys on rookie contracts, which would be like astonishing. Um, but yeah, I mean I think like Boston at 14, 20, and twenty-two, I think those picks are in play. So I think you you get through the weekend, and then you kind of then the dialogue really starts to um, starts to pick up. But as far as I think it's a year-round process. It's kind of like you plant the seed, and then you go out like three months later, and let's see if that thing has grown. Like, is it a tree now or is it just kind of a pot
3: of mud? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you wrote a great article on, on ESPN talking about uh, potential Davis deals and and how that might look. And in a few of them, you had the Phoenix Suns getting involved. How realistic do you see that as, as them being that, uh, that third team and helping facilitate the deal? Here?
2: Well, I, I think it goes back to um, what do you think of Lonzo Ball, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's kind of like internally, what do you think about um, – because it would it would probably cost you the sixth pick in the draft here. Now you have two book, two years of Lonzo Ball. Um, let's block out every all everything off the court that comes with it, right? So I know we probably can't, but for this
1: segment, but I actually think with James Jones and Monty Williams in place, <laughs> there is a lot more opportunity to control a Lavar Ball.
3: You can't deal oh, okay. him to New Orleans and just take Lavar or take Lonzo. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
2: I mean, I think and I think you know there's certainly more with money um, in in in, uh, in James there too, as far as from a guidance standpoint. But yeah, it comes down to do you want two years of Lonzo, knowing that you know he's he. Let's face it, he he has struggled with injuries, right? He's not been able to kind of put a complete year. You know, is that going to change now in Phoenix? Um, there, and, um, so it's, it's a matter of lining up what those, those same players we talked about in the beginning in that four to eight range compared to Lonzo ball. Um, and that's, that's probably the big, that's a question that they have
1: to ask internally. So I've, I've always been against the, the Lonzo ball acquisition because of the family, because I had zero trust in Ryan McDonough and Robert Sarver managing the circus um, but I've never really had much trouble with Lonzo Ball as a player. I mean, he's basically, I mean, this is a, this is a little bit of a stretch, but he's kind of like profiles like a Jason Kidd, where in his, in his at his best, when he's healthy, triple-double threat, can't shoot for the life of him, can't even make a layup. Jason Kidd couldn't make a layup either, you know? And But <clears throat> they can be just, they can be effective enough because they're such good passers that they can make you think they're going to do something you don't want to do anyway, like shoot. Um, I think he could be really good. And if you've got a Monty Williams and a James Jones in place, I think that is the level of maturity you need to manage the circus.
3: But but how much – How much does the fact that the Suns really right now, we don't even know what their training staff is. They're doing this new experimental thing with the company. Yeah. Yeah. There's, they, they don't, the training staff doesn't even make sense. So that, that worries me with a guy that has injury history, too.
2: Well, you're right. I mean, I think that comes, that certainly comes into play as far as the ability to manage injuries and what you're, I mean, we see nowadays, sports science is huge.
1: Yeah.
2: What basically, you know, what Toronto was able to do with Kawhi this year. Um, and that group there is, is, um, is big. I think with, um, you know, with, with Lonzo is that and Kevin Pelton wrote a really good piece on, uh, on ESPN about lining up the assets for Boston and the Lakers kind of combining them and seeing how they lined up. And I think he had Lonzo as like the second best asset in, in um, I think behind Tatum. Um, so there, you know, Hey, he's a six, six point guard who can rebound as you know, you know, dish, you know, defend. he can defend, he's a playmaker, he's big, um, you know, you kind of put him next to Booker. I think that's a pretty solid, just a matter of it's a, it's, Hey, it's an acquired taste because you are taking on
1: a lot of other things that are not just basketball. So if you were putting uh would you rather have, and forget the salaries for a moment, because this is an <laughs> obvious win on one side, but would you rather have a D'Angelo Russell next to Devin Booker or Lonzo Ball next to Devin Booker or Kobe White
0: next to
2: Booker? I would probably rather have Lonzo Ball next to Devin Booker.
0: How about uh, Shay Gilders Alexander? One of your trade ideas from the article you recently published uh, for ESPN had the Suns getting Shay Gilders Alexander.
3: I would like Shay Gilders
0: Alexander. I would take Shay. Oh. I think he's a heck of a player. I think he's got yeah. a chance. I really do.
2: I think. I think Charlotte screwed up majorly when they didn't draft him or when, when they traded. I think back and took um, Miles sure. Bridges, um, knowing that who the hell knows what's going to happen with Kemba, and you could have had Gilgis Alexander and play them together and and, and go
0: well, there. So, uh, so could the Sons of. Uh, that's right, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's right. I forgot about that too. Sorry.
1: <laughs> would you would you rather though, uh, Mikkel Bridges or Shea Gilgis Alexander? I think, we should, I think Mikhail Bridges is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um,
2: I would have, um, you know, I, so I I don't, I'm not, I think Shea's going to be, you know, I think Shea's got the potential. I think we saw flashes of it. Um, I think they're just different. They're different, you know, they're different players. I mean, one's a point and the other is a, you know, a three, four, or four, three. Um, whatever we call them, so yeah, I mean, I think I think Shea gets magnified more just because of
1: the, the point guard situation in Phoenix. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> that's, that's, that's anyone that's, looks the fact that Tyler Johnson looked good at point guard for Phoenix shows you how bad the point guards were. Well,
2: and that's the thing, like, and so like so we had um, so in New Jersey we acquired Sasha Vujic in a trade in 2010, um, and it was part of a Terrence Williams trade and. We, we couldn't shoot the ball. We I think we shot, like, 33% from three as a team before we got Sasha. And he came in one game and, like, made, like, five threes. And we thought, like, he was, like, like like Ray Allen in reincarnation. And I think Sasha wound up shooting, like, 35. For, and that's why you kind of get, need to kind of pump the brakes when you get players in trades. And all of a sudden, like, because you didn't have that, they all of a sudden look really good. He like, <laughs> like, <you> didn't, like... <laughs> Even with like Kelly a little bit too. Like Yeah. Yeah, like great. He was been great. He was great for you when you got him in uh whenever, December. December. Yeah. So but like you were you know, you're basically playing out he was auditioning for the next contract and he's you're playing out the string there. So I think and he had
1: every opportunity to score he possibly wanted.
2: Yeah, like so when like, when people think like he's a fifteen to seventeen million dollar player, I'm like, whoa, easy. Let's like <laughs> go back a little bit here. I think he's probably more of a ten to twelve million dollar guy. Um,
1: so I think you have to. Kind I think of, it's pretty well assumed that he's going to get re-signed by the Suns. Oh, I think right? so. yeah, I think
2: yeah, so is, uh, I think it's a matter of um, where they value his cap hold compared to how they can create cap space. Like he won't be a guy like. Yeah, we're like he might agree to something, but like he might be a guy that won't get signed until like July 20th because right. you know, one of those type deals.
1: But if there is so it seems like they're so sure of the fact that they're going to bring Kelly back and Kelly is so sure of the fact that he's going to be back with the Suns just the way they're acting without saying it out loud. Doesn't it seem like the Suns have already agreed to overpay him or he wouldn't have totally agreed to the contract already or or you know?
2: I, I don't know about um, I don't know about agree, yeah, um, I, but I do think it'll probably cost them more uh, and overpay because you always have the threat of well I'm just going to sign the one you're qualifying or and kind of um, and then go into free agency in, in 2020. I think that's kind of where like when you have strong um, front offices that can kind of call that bluff and say hey we have four years forty eight million dollars we're going to give you. Um, and then you kind of let the, let that process go out because who is like, you know, it's like back to the D'Angelo thing, like who is going to be that team that kind of just comes in there with an offer sheet. Right. Um, and plops
1: that down. And I don't, um, I, it's hard to see hard. anyone making an offer. What's that? See, nobody gets, nobody does restricted free agent offers unless they really, really want to. And Kelly seems like the last guy who's going to actually get a bidding war going. I just don't think they will
2: yeah i mean it's like it's twofold it's either you can go out and get it, try to put an offer sheet on a guy you really want or kind of just do what brooklyn did for three for two or three years and basically you just screwed teams cap space up for for <laughs> deal the future with um alan crabb and tyler johnson, tyler johnson and you know guys like that and um and those guys in brooklyn's done a great job but it's like you know, it, it gets forgotten. Like whatever had, would have happened if te- if they didn't, those teams did not match those offer sheets. <laughs> you <laughs> you yeah, if they call it, your block. You basically had to trade what, like two first round picks to get rid of them. I right. mean, you got Torian Prince back, but like, what, imagine if Brooklyn was stuck with Porter and Tyler and Crab, and then we're like, oh, salary cap purgatory.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, so we've talked about one glaring hole on the Suns' roster and point guard, but we haven't really talked about the other that power forward and, you know, talking about guys who had great years going in, in a contract here, a lot of talk about Julius Randle and him potentially having interest in joining the Suns and potentially some mutual interest. How do you think he would fit with this roster and what would that look like in your mind? Well, yeah. I mean, so
2: Julius has been, um, I think offensively he's been outstanding right so i think there is a there's a lot to be desired defensively right i think i think julius can play some five for you um, i think he's probably a, a small ball five um, but now you he's kind of pegged in that number right he's like a 9 to 10 million dollar guy he went from you know you it's funny we label guys and then it kind of sticks with him like this guy's a minimum and then for for 7 years he's a minimum player here so Um, I think Julius will opt out when the next uh, he's got an opt out date in the next couple of days. Um, And I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the powerful and I started going through it, the free agents, it's strong, right? It's a, it's a strong group of guys when you look at like Thaddeus Young, Julius Randall, um, Miritich, um, um, guy, you know, guys like that that can kind of fit that are all in that eight to $10 million range. So I think it's a matter of like, you know, then it comes back to like, how do you afford them? Are you going to just stay over the cap, right? And then maybe that's he's your full mid-level guy.
1: So what's the what's the uh, likelihood that this summer is like 2016, where uh, these a uh, handful of guys get dramatically overpaid because teams have money and they lost their targets? I don't know if we'll ever see the summer of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you, do you think I, they might have learned their lesson? <laughs> great
2: housing market, as I call it, the great housing boom of 16, where <laughs> houses were sold for millions i don't think we'll uh i don't think we'll ever get that again but it is going to be interesting because we talk about the, the top 10 guys a lot right and um you know like it, it's a domino effect like what happens when those most of those guys stay with their own teams and then you have teams like new york and brooklyn like that are just sitting there with like 65 million dollars in room right like what happens to, like there's not like Like Kevin Durant is only one player. Kevin Durant (laughs) is not five players, right? Like, um, and Clay is likely going to stay in Golden State. So now you're all bidding for um, Kemba and Jimmy Butler and guys like that. So I think, yeah, I think the last couple summers you've seen teams pull back on short-term contracts, right? One and two-year deals. Um, So I don't. I would be stunned if we ever see what happened in '16 again.
1: So um, Julius Randle. So, as Greg said, there uh, there's reported mutual interest. Um, could there, I mean, in my mind, I, I'm just wondering how he would fit next to Aiden on the court. Isn't he basically the power forward version of every skeptic's opinion of DeAndre Aiden?
2: Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's like, I think I would rather have Thad Young next to DeAndre Aiden.
1: Right. 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 Certainly Miritich. I think Miritich is like <laughs> the best possible. Yeah. Quick hit, fit. You know, uh, uh, two or three—not two year, not two year, but th- uh, three to four year. Um, perfect guy yeah. next to Aiden because he can defend a little bit. He can, he can, he, he, and he obviously he can stretch the floor. Yeah. Um, Julius Randle I, just seems like the worst possible fit next to Jordan. How junior much,
3: But how much of this has to do with what Monty Williams actually wants to do with his offense? What his systems look like? If, to me, that's what makes the Sun so interesting this off season is we really don't w- know what Monty wants to do. We don't really know what James Jones plan is. So I feel like anything's on the table with this team. This
2: oh, off I do too. And I think like, it's not like you're going to go into And I always say like, you know, throw darts at, darts at the dartboard here. Like if yeah. if Julia, if they're going to go out and get Julius Randall, it's because this is how there's a certain way. Monty Williams is going to go out and play, right? Like you're not just going to get him because like, he's the last man on the board and we've got $9 million to spend. Like, yeah, we'll just take a flyer on Julius Randall. Like, there will have to be a role for him there.
1: If the rumors are true, though, then the same kind of rumors are saying they're going after Kobe White, who is probably the fastest offensive player in the in the draft, kind of like a De'Aaron Fox type from a couple of years ago. Um, so that means you want to play fast. And yet if you uh, draft Julius Randle or sign Julius Randle next to John Drayton, that kind of seems like you want to play slow. So I guess I – obviously these um, what percentage of these rumors turn out to be actual real information, I guess it would be my question. Is it just seems like people are throwing stuff at the wall because they don't know what the sons are going to do.
2: I think a lot, I think there's just so much out there right now. I mean, as far as even from the draft to free agency, as far as who likes who and um, who's not who, you know, like there's this thing this morning, like, you know, that, you know, Kyrie's going to go to Brooklyn and the Nets won't don't want D'Angelo anymore. So it's like, yeah, you know, unless you're in their room, like how do, like how do we really like, so I think there's a little bit of a smoke screen out there. So it's kind of just a matter of kind of sifting through. Yeah, some stuff like like the interest in with Kawhi and the Clippers. Yeah, I think that's, you know, mutual. Right. Like, I don't think that's just like something we've kind of fabricated here. But um, I do think there is a lot out there that teams and agents and kind of just throw out and try to maybe throw people off
0: are the Suns any more respectable or an attractive free agent destination this summer with uh, James Jones and Monty Williams, or does that front office coaching change even make that big of a difference to free agent players?
2: Oh, I I think, you know, now you've got Monty and you know what he signed a five-year contract and um, you know, Monty Williams is not going anywhere. Right, and like, you, like you, you're not going to get off to, right. you know, if you get off the five and twenty start or five, <clears> 20 <throat> like, Monty Williams not going to get fired. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it,
1: here. As opposed As, to every other coach the sons have had for a while. Yeah,
2: and I think you guys have already started to see it, like with the draft workouts, right? Like every guy they've interviewed, um, the media interviewed after the, their workouts has been like, like it wasn't just about like basketball. It was like kind of like they were like getting t- like it was like teaching moments, right? Like. That Phoenix will bring in probably sixty guys. They'll draft one, but fifty-nine guys will probably get a lot more out of what happened in Phoenix than what happened somewhere else. And I think that's where, like, like when we were in New Jersey and Brooklyn, like our owner would always say, "Why do you guys bring all these guys in? Like, why? <laughs> what's the Purpose of why bringing all these guys in? Like, agent <clears throat> <throat> in two years from now, and we, we're going after. We're going to go meet and recruit them." Like they can say, you know, I went to Phoenix. I had a great workout, and I love Monty Williams. Like
1: that's a really good point.
2: You know, like that's the reason why. Um, so I think yes, I think I think Phoenix is more desirable now. That you have, I mean, you have James. You got. I love Je- Jeff Bauer. I think he's. I think he can do really good things there. I think there's some, you know that father figure kind of keep everyone in line. Um, really organized, detailed. Um, and then certainly with Monty and the, and the staff that
3: he's, you know, that he's, that he's put together there. So you, we've talked about all the options uh, and, and what could possibly happen with this draft for the Suns. We're, we're at the end here of the show. What's your prediction of what will happen this week with Phoenix?
2: I think what will happen is that we know the top three guys will go right in, in order there. I think Darius Garland is probably, um, if we ask our own, guys um uh, mike and jonathan that he's kind of right now somewhat pegged to um to uh lakers, lakers right so five is cleveland um you know and then i, I think at the end you're kind of like I, I, it would surprise me if, if kobe goes to, to phoenix i think i i think you were probably looking at like a hunter Gar, um uh culver type um position there but i do think Um, I think Kobe would fit in perfectly there. I think that's kind of – but I think the next couple days we'll start to see some maybe – hopefully within that front office you get some separation as far as who you are liking here. But that's – it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. It's that group of four
1: as far as kind of who fits the best. Do you think the Suns trade the pick or do you think the Suns take a a player? I think they take a player. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bobby. We appreciate you giving us a whole hour of your time. Uh and uh, you know, we'd love to have you on again after after free agency actually happens and the trade season happens and and we'll see what we thought of what the Suns actually did. Thanks. Thanks guys, appreciate it.